Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Force. Join us now for a service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I want you to grab your Bibles, and this morning what we're going to do, we're going to start working on the second message in this focus on the family series. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for the family. We thank you, Father, for moms and dads, that all of us have one. I know that some of them are with you now, and Lord, I pray that you know, you said in your word that you would be our father and our mother and our brother and our sister. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just help me be able to communicate this message today in a very effective way. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, the hearts to receive. May our understanding be enlightened that we may understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us today concerning our families. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number eight, 18 is where we're going to start today. Just go ahead and pull this, uh, this uh, tarp out. The Bible says, Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. The first thing I want to talk to you about today is that one of the greatest gifts that we can give our family is to live honestly. To live honestly. Faking is mistaking. And a lot of times, even we as parents, you know, uh, we have a tendency to try to put a wall up because we don't want the kids to see us wounded. We don't want them to see us hurt. We don't want, to see, we don't want them to see us struggle, to go through things. Now, here's my question about that, and it's just something for us parents to think about is if your child never sees you struggle through anything, then how are they ever going to learn through example how to overcome something that is creating problems? And so one of the greatest gifts that you can give your child is transparency. And to live honestly before them. And in Hebrews 13, 18, the Bible says, uh, in all things we are to live honestly. Now, let me just help you with something here, okay? There's no one that's perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not perfect, baby. (laughs) All of you husbands can pay me later for that because I gave you a safe environment to say that to your wife. No, here's the thing. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And here's what I have found out about mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how wonderful you are. Everybody makes mistakes. And the best way to overcome a mistake is to admit it and quit it. I said that's the best way to overcome is to admit it and quit it. Strong families laugh together, they cry together, they pray together. And yes, I wrote this message before the Friday night message at camp meeting, and those of you that were at camp meeting will understand this. And sometimes families even smell each other. Look at your neighbor and sniff and say, you smell like heaven. Bottom line is they do life together. 
they do life together. Now, can somebody tell me this morning what is the most valuable, the most valuable currency of any relationship? Can anybody tell me what that is? I'm hearing a few things. Somebody shout something out. Love, trust, communication, Granny Sue nailed it. She hollered time because time builds trust. Time builds honesty. Time invested. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about this for just a few moments here this morning. Time is the most valuable currency of any relationship because time given establishes the foundations of future generations. Now these are not just one-liners that I read in a book somewhere. I was asking the Holy Ghost to help me put this together on Friday afternoon and this stuff was flowing out of me so it's straight from heaven today. Somebody needs to hear this. Time given establishes the foundation of future generations. And you say, well my kids are all grown up. You can still give them your time. Well, they make more money than I do. Then let them buy dinner, but give them your time. Go to their house and eat their food because God knows they lived in your house forever and ate your food. So go to their house and when they say something, say, I'm just harvesting on the seed I sowed. Whatever it takes, do the best you can to give them time. Give your kids time. Give your spouse time. Give your spouse time. If your parents are older, even younger, but if your parents are older and they're still with you, do the best that you can to give them as much time as you possibly can. Now, not only time given, not only does that establish the foundations of future generations, but time ignored destroys the foundation of many generations. Time ignored. You say, well, what does it do? Well, it breaks things. Give me, it, it'll, it'll, here, let me, do you have this for me? You got this for me? Do you have your, uh, you're going to have to cover your eyes or something here because I don't want to, to have to pay your doctor bill. All right. Now, <laughs> don't I look cool? Isn't that awesome? All right. Now, I've got to go back to this because I haven't had the time to really memorize it this week. But this is what the Holy Spirit gave me on Friday, okay? I want to talk to you about things that can break our families, okay? Okay. Anyone that puts work over family will break. You want your family to be strong? You want your family to survive the test of time? You want your family... You're going to have to spend time together and you're going to have to quit putting work over your family. Now, that doesn't mean that you quit working. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus. You ask any one of my kids, Nikki and Susie especially. Now, Jeremiah was a little bit young and he went sometimes. But any one of my kids, years and years ago, I used to be a milkman. And I would tell them, when your teacher, when they was in first and second grade, I'd tell them, when your teacher asks you who your daddy is, just tell them it's the milkman. <laughs> but I used to take them on Saturdays because I had to work on Saturdays. I used to take them on Saturdays in the milk truck with me 
And they would go because it was a smaller route on Saturdays. It was like four or five hours instead of 14. It was like four or five hours. So I would take them and they loved going with me. Number one, they got to spend time with me and I got to spend time with them. Number two, it was a lot smaller milk truck than what I used during the week so I wasn't really too worried about them getting injured or hurt. And number three, the customers got to know them and when they seen Nikki and Susie who were about five or six years old or maybe a little bit younger coming, they just spoiled the heck out of them. And so Nikki and Susie just loved it. Well, bottom line was I was trying to figure out a way to spend time with them while I was still providing for them. So never use work for your excuse to not spend time with your kids. Now, let me talk about this. Never use work for your excuse to not spend time with your spouse. You're going to have to learn to schedule that time. Now, something else. Failing to eat dinner together at least three times a week will break your relationship. There's a lot of things that happen around the dinner table. Honesty. There's a lot of things that happen around the dinner table. You can talk about... Here's what I found out about my girls and my wife. A lot of times... See, I'm a fix-it person. I'm a problem solver. Don't tell me what's wrong if you don't want me to go fix it. But they don't always want you to go fix it. Sometimes they just want somebody to listen to them. And I have found out that it's much easier to listen when I'm putting food in my mouth. So you're at the dinner table. And there's a lot of things that come out at the dinner table that will not come out anywhere else. Listen to me, men. Listen to me, women. Spend as much time around the dinner table as you possibly can. You will learn things about your kids. The opportunity for conversation will be there. Sometimes it will be light banter. Sometimes uh, you'll get up and all you will have accomplished, really, you'll think that you have accomplished is everybody got full and then somebody will fight over who has to do the dishes. You know, and, and that's okay because that's just, you know, part of, of being a... See, we're a normal family too. I mean, there are those conflicts. There has been those conflicts growing up. But one of the things that I have found out, Nikki and Susie are 25 now and this one right here is 21 years old. And one of the, one of the most valuable times that I can remember while they were growing up was around the dinner table because you learn so much about them and they learn so much about you. And they'll talk to you a lot of times around the dinner table when they won't talk to you any other time. Now, something else that can break your family is if you never go on vacation. I can't afford vacation. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You can afford vacation. You might not have the money to go spend at a resort. You might not have the money to to go somewhere and and, and do expensive things, but get yourself a tent and go to a park somewhere and get away. I mean, my goodness, you live in Florida. You can spend time with your family on vacation. Go on vacation. If you don't, then it breaks part of the foundation of who you are. Now some of you ladies are going to say amen on this one, okay? Another thing that will break your family apart, I'm talking about living honestly, is if you never take mama on a date anymore. That'll break you. That'll break your family. 
I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. One of the worst mistakes that parents make is when the child is born, their life becomes all about the child and the thing that caused them to fall in love in the first place gets put second place in their life as the child takes preeminence and we start ignoring one another and we're going to end up apart. Okay? So we have to keep the first things the first things, the main things the main things. How many remember last week? The, the most important thing you can do in front of your children is gross them out. That's right. Give mama a big old wet kiss. Not one little, you know, come on baby. Give her a big old wet kiss. I mean the kind that makes your kids go, ew, and run in the other room. Do that. Do that, okay? you got to take mama on dates. If you don't, listen, if you don't, not only is it going to break her, but it's going to break you. I'm preaching good right now. It's going to break you. Do you see what's happening here? This family is falling apart. Why is it falling apart? Number one, because work took precedence over the family. Number two, it's because you don't spend any time together around the dinner table. Number three, because you don't go on vacation with one another. Number four, because daddy doesn't take mama out anymore. And instead of falling in love and keeping that love alive, that all their love is wrapped up in the child. He didn't turn out too bad. And I grossed him out a lot of times. I still gross him out. Come here, mama. Every now and then I still hear my kids say, Get a room. (laughs) Failure to communicate breaks families. Failure to pray together breaks families. It breaks families. It disintegrates them. It disintegrates them. Failure to attend church together. Oh, you had to say that because you're a preacher. No, I had to say it because it's in the Bible. Because it's in the Bible. My livelihood doesn't come from this church. My livelihood comes from heaven. Now, I'll give it to you. It comes through you, but it comes from heaven. Let me tell you something. I love you dearly, but if you're here today and gone tomorrow, God will send somebody else to fill that seat and my livelihood will still come from heaven. I'm going to preach to you what's the truth. If you don't take your kids to church, don't you come complaining to me when they're 15 or 20 years old and they don't want to come to church because you taught them that other things were more important than church. If you don't pray together, your family will fall apart. If you're not in the Word together, your family will fall fall apart. If all you ever do is work, 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 and there's no time for one another, your family will fall apart. If, if, If you never go on vacation and spend any time with one another, your family will fall apart. And then what will happen is one of these days you'll turn around and this right here is what your family will look like and you'll say, God, I don't know what in the world happened, but would you please fix this? And we throw on God to fix something that only we can fix. It's not God's fault your family fell apart. Touch your neighbor and say, he's preaching. It's not God's fault your family fell apart. It's your fault. If my family falls apart, it's my fault. Well, pastor, your family's perfect. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. You say, well, you've never been through anything. Okay, I'm going to give you a newsflash. Some of you know this and some of you don't. But after being married for 10 years, Donna and I found ourselves divorced. That's right. We were apart for two years and divorced for 10 months. Don't tell me I don't know what it's like. Don't tell me that I don't know what it's like to get up in the middle of the night to go check on the kids and go down the hall and get fully awake and realize I'm not even in in my house, that the kids aren't here. Don't tell me I don't know what that's like. Don't tell me I don't know what will rip a family apart. Don't tell me I don't know what will tear a family apart. My biggest problem was I was so ministry minded I was no family good. Because I wanted so badly to be successful in the ministry because in my mind, ministry success translated to saved souls. And I thought I was honoring God and I found out the Bible says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And I found out that the first church that I needed to take care of was the church in my living room. The church in my home. And Donna had been so wrecked by people that called themselves Christians in the church that she made up her mind. She looked at me she said, if this is what ministry is, I want nothing to do with it. You know why? Because there were mean, mean, nasty people that manipulated and controlled. And she said, you know something? And I don't care what people say about me. I really, I'm still the same way. I don't care. I don't care. Well, we'd go to camp meeting. We'd go to minister's conventions. We'd go to the church, we, the churches we were pastoring and things like that. And she said, you'll walk up to them and they'll be so nice to you and all of that kind of stuff. And they don't even know I'm your wife. And you turn and you walk away and they put knives in your back. She said, John, that might not bother you, but I can't take it. And so she made up her mind, I don't want nothing to do with ministry. All of you that think that, that being in the ministry is a posh life, you've got another thing coming. You have absolutely no idea. And we found our family looking like this, didn't we, Donna? Totally wrecked. Totally destroyed. Totally wrecked. Totally destroyed. One day, you've heard the story. Some of you have. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm laying in the mud on the north fork of the Licken River about 3 o'clock in the morning because it started raining and I fell in the mud. I didn't go roll in the mud on purpose. I fell. And I laid there and I was walking, talking to the Lord about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It was one of them extremely lonely times. Everybody was pressuring, not everybody, almost everybody was pressuring me. You need to go to Michigan. You need to go back where your family is. You need to go up. And I told him, my family's not in Michigan. My family's 45 minutes away. My family is Nikki and Susie and Jeremiah and Donna. That's my family. And there were people trying to drive. I had people calling me saying, if you get back with that woman, you've got to be the stupidest person I've ever seen in my life. I had people call me and tell People that I love dearly call me and tell me that. People that have the same kind of DNA flowing through their veins called me and told me, if you get back with that woman, you're the stupidest man I've ever met in my life. And I said, you know something? When I said, till death do us part, I meant it. Come on now. I'm just being real transparent with you because I want you to understand, I know, I know the pain of divorce. I know the pain of divorce. Somebody said, yeah, but you're back with the same woman. I said, no, I'm not. She got the same name and she looks the same. And her name is Donna Kay. But I like my second wife a whole lot better than I liked my first one. And she doesn't have a microphone, so I'll say it for her. She likes her second husband a whole lot better 
Now, you see, guys, I just dug myself out right there. I was going to be in trouble <laughs> when I went home. But I just dug myself out. So one day, Donna calls me. Let's get this, let's get this stuff. Let's get this cleaned up here. So one, of these, one day, Donna called me, and she said, John, she said, I was at church tonight, and she was running. She was hurt. She said, I was at church tonight. And she said, we need to try to get this family back together and, and make it work. And I told her, I said, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm honest. I told her, I said, we're divorced. You're not my wife. And I had pretty much gotten past it. And I felt the Lord go inside of me. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to put a nail in the coffin of the former relationship that we had. And we're going to start dating again. And I started dating her. Nikki and Susie and Jeremiah were, you know, they were little, but they were all born. And so I started taking her back out on dates. What was I doing? I'll tell you what I was doing. I was cleaning up the mess that our life had become. We went on dates. We talked to one another. We loved on each other. We kissed a little bit. That's right. And we began to build our life back together. We allowed God to get in the process. Now listen to me very closely. Sometimes in the process of rebuilding your life, you have to separate yourself from the things that created the problems to begin with. And to be just totally transparent with you, there was a church there that was full of a whole bunch of ugly, and I don't mean this physically, but ugly women. And I told Donna, I said, because everybody, I said, everybody goes to that church and ends up divorced, and that's where you think I'm going? You're, you're nuts. You're crazy. I said, we're going to go somewhere. I don't know them. And because I had evangelized a lot, I had preached a lot, and I was known all over everywhere. I said, I don't know them. They don't know me. You don't know them. They don't know you. We're going to go somewhere completely new, and we're taking our family there, and we're going to just sit, and we're going to let the Lord begin to heal us. Well, it didn't take very long, and the Lord began to work on us. The Lord began to mend us. The Lord began to put us back together. And on September the 11th, the, the very day that the Twin Towers were hit, Donna and I were remarried. The very day. And I tell people today, and I'm not making light of this, but the devil dialed 911 the day we got remarried. Because what the devil meant for evil, God turned around and it's made for good. And I looked at her that night and I told her, I said, honey, I said, you know what? I said, we are not going to hide this. We're not going to run from it. I said, we're going to take what the devil has meant for a stumbling stone and we're going to turn it into a stepping stone. And this is going to be a testimony of how God can take a completely broken family and restore it back to wholeness again and put his life and put all, all of that back. And so we began to spend time together. And as we began to spend time together, that mean I had to quit working so much. And so I had to change my job. And so I, I got that fixed. I got that changed. And so that building block came back. That building block came back. And I learned how to balance work and family. You know, another thing we started doing is we started doing a lot more grilling out and cooking out. And we started spending a whole lot of time together around the dinner table. And so that building block came back. 
So you can see, you, can, you have the ability, with the help of God, you have the ability to start building back what the enemy has destroyed. Now, let me help you understand something here, okay? I have my son up here and he helped clean this up for me. You're not going to be able to clean that mess up by yourself. You're going to have to let God put people in your life who's not going to spread your mess all over Facebook and social media. You're going to have to let God put people inside of your life who loves you more than their own identity and you're going to have to trust them and you're going to have to be, be transparent before them and you're going to have to let them pray with you and you're going to have to let them clean the mess up. You can't clean that mess up by yourself. I don't care how big bad you are. You can't clean that mess up by yourself. Some of you ladies, well, you don't know what he did to me. No, but God does. And are you interested in sitting around and complaining or are you interested in restoration? Some of you men, well, bless God, I ain't putting up with that from any woman. Then stay single. Because try as you might, you will never figure a woman out. Right about the time you think you got her figured out, wham! One of the things I'm talking to God about when I get to heaven. <laughs> you got to spend time on vacation with your family. You know, go camping, go fishing. One of the things, and, and this is just an idea, but one of the things that my family loved back then and just loved to this day is every now and then, we haven't done this in a long time, we need to do it again. But every now and then, I would come home. The kids would get home from school. I would come home and look at, her, look at, look at my wife, their mommy, and I would say, go pack a suitcase. We're going on a 24-hour vacation. And they would say, really? And they loved it because for 20, what that meant was for 24 hours, and we pastored, we were back pastoring, and for 24 hours from Friday night about 6 o'clock until Saturday night about 6 o'clock, we did nothing but be with each other. And they loved it because it was good for them. Sometimes we went shopping and they got new outfits and stuff like that. You got to start dating one another again. That makes the woman whole. She needs your love. She needs your attention. She needs your affection. And that makes the man whole too. Guess what, ladies? Just put it right here on the top. Guess what, ladies? He needs you too. He needs your love. He needs your affirmation. He needs your attention. I've got quite a, a bit more scripture here in just a few moments, okay? We've got to start praying with one another. We have to start communicating with one another. And what's the other thing that we have to start doing? Let's, communication. Let's get the communication block in here. All right. But the capstone of everything, put that one right here, is that we need to do church together. We need to be together in the house of the Lord. Because in the house of the Lord is where we learn, isn't it? It's where we learn how to live for the Lord. It's, it's, it's where our family can be put together. And listen, it matters where you go to church. There are a whole lot of people that come to church, sit on church pews, and die, spiritually speaking. It matters where you go to church. Don't be going to some church that doesn't teach you that the power of God is not for today. Don't go somewhere where they say that miracles went out with the apostles. Don't go somewhere where people doesn't, doesn't want, uh, you know, the pastor teaching about faith and prosperity and things like that. All that stuff's in the Bible. All that stuff's in the Word. Now, I'll give you, there needs to be a balance to it. 
But it's in the Word of God. And so it's important for you and it's important for me to get together in the house of the Lord and make our spirits and our souls, which is the seat of our mind and our will and emotions, available for God to minister to. So you will notice that all of the things that we talked about take time. Our family can be destroyed. Our family can be broke apart. Our family can be dusted, uh, busted. But God has a way of building us back together. Now in Psalms chapter 11 and verse number 3, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You are not going to be able to rebuild your family by just sitting around waiting for it to happen. It's going to take effort and it's going to take work. It's so funny. Uh, Ralph Godfrey and his wife uh, pastor a church. I don't, they may be retired now because they were right up around 80. I'm pretty sure they're retired because that was like seven or eight years ago. And we went to their 50-year um, anniversary up in Cincinnati. We were invited and we went there. And so... Uh, obviously their church, you know, they'd pastored that church for a lot of years, and so their church was there, and they'd gotten this little ballroom type thing for them and everything, and they were just loving on them. And so they asked him, they said, would you please talk to us a little bit about what it takes to make a family work? And so he got up and he said, I just want, actually he was sitting at the table, and he said, I just want everybody to know that it takes three things to make a family work. (laughs) He said, work work and more work to which his wife grabbed the mic and hollered would you please give these young folks some hope But I found out it does. It takes work. If you think your family is just going to rebuild back together just because, you know, you're just sitting around waiting, well I'm just I'm just praying and waiting on God to do it. Well, you know what? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to make the right choices. He's waiting on you to align with Him. He's waiting on you to align with His idea of what a family should be. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Let me tell you what the righteous can do. They can rebuild them. If the foundations be destroyed, they can rebuild those foundations. We should respect one another's times. As as we get older, we see how much more valuable time becomes. And and let me just encourage you this morning, uh, every single person in this room right now is as young as you will ever be. There's a mind bender. Because when you get up and walk out that door, you're going to be older than you are right now. Life is made up of a series of moments. And I found out what happens in the next moments of my life is largely determined by the decisions that I make while I'm living in the present moments of my life. So I've got to learn, and you have got to learn, that we got to keep it real. We've got to build the foundations. We have to let God help us. And, and when, they, when a foundation stone gets shattered, when it gets broken, then we've got to rebuild that foundation stone so the rest of it doesn't fall apart. Now, the second thing that I wanted to share with you about, you know, you, you can't be fake. You've got to keep it real. Okay, sometimes when we're going through things, it's, it's not good to mask things. It's also not good to put your dirty laundry up on a flagpole where everybody can see it. All right, but the second thing I want to talk to you about is this. If you, want to, if you want to have a successful family, if we want to have a successful family, then we're going to have to learn how to keep it fun. 
The Bible is not against having fun. Well, the Bible says that we shouldn't be involved in foolish jesting. Well, let me, let me uh, read that scripture to you and you'll see that it's talking about jesting which is not becoming or jesting which is not convenient. The Bible is not against you having fun. In fact, the Bible's not even against you telling a joke every now and then as long as it's a good joke. Ephesians 5 and verse number 4 in the Amplified Version says this, Let there be no filthiness, obscenity, indecency, nor foolish and sinful, silly and corrupt talk, nor coarse jesting which are not fitting or becoming, but instead voice your thankfulness to God. A strong family will voice their thankfulness to God. And one of the best ways that we can voice our thankfulness to God is to enjoy the life that God has given us. Some people are so destiny-minded that they fail to be journey-minded. And you're going to spend a whole lot more time on the journey than you are when you get to the destination. Because I found out that in this process of setting goals, that right about the time I get close to achieving a particular goal, then all of a sudden, God starts putting vision in me for the next goal. And all of a sudden, that goal becomes an acceleration point to launch me into the next phase. Now, Ephesians 5 and verse number 4, the, the believer's Bible commentary explains this verse like this. The word filthiness, this refers to dirty stories, suggestive jokes with the sexual coloring and all forms of obscenity and indecency. So the Bible's telling us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 4, don't be telling dirty jokes. Then it says foolish talking. Now this, and this is the believer's Bible commentary explanation, okay? This is not mine, this is the believer's Bible commentary explanation. Foolish talking refers to dirty stories so, uh, no, no, uh, it, yeah, dirty stories sexual, with sexual coloring, empty conversation that's worthy of a moron. <laughs> Believer's Bible commentary explanation, okay? It includes gutter language, gutter language. And coarse jesting is jokes or talks with unsavory or hidden meanings to talk about something, to joke about it, to make it a frequent subject of conversation is to introduce it into your mind and to bring you closer to actually doing it. It's always dangerous to joke about sin. Shout, Amen, Pastor. It's always dangerous to joke about sin because the more you joke about it, the closer you come to doing it. So it's important that we don't do that, okay? So instead of using our tongue for things like this, then the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 4 that we should deliberately cultivate the practice of thanksgiving. So we should constantly be thanking the Lord. Lord, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your mercy upon my life. I thank you, Lord, for my family, Lord. I thank you for the ability to work to take care of them. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have given me time to, to spend with them. And so we need to learn how to enjoy the journey. And, and what I'm telling you is this. We, we can keep it fun and still keep it clean. Hello? We can keep it fun and still keep it clean. Let, let me give you a, a prime example, okay? Here's one of the things that I like to do with my family. We have so much fun doing this, okay? I call it making memories. Did you see that? I'll give you an example. 
We had not been living here very long at all in Florida. It's about eight years ago. We had almost no money at the time because our funding had fallen through. We were just trusting God and believing God. And we got this money in the mail, and we were thankful and grateful to the Lord for one of our partners, one of our supporters. We were thankful and grateful. So I decided, you know, my family hasn't went out to eat in a really long time, and so I'm going to take my family to this nice Italian restaurant that we saw, and we lived in South Tampa. Now, when we, you know, when we moved here from, from Kentucky, uh, we paid more for a little old tiny 1940s house in Palmacia, which I had no idea, you know, I mean, we didn't know. But, but we paid more than, than, oh my goodness. In fact, I asked the guy about buying it, and he said he wanted over $300,000. And I said, you can buy two farms for that in Kentucky. I said, I just want to buy this little house, a 1940s house. But anyway, we were down there in Palmacia, and so uh, I decided to take them. And so we go into this restaurant, Donna and I and Nikki and Susie and Jeremiah. This is about eight years ago. We go into this restaurant. We sit down. We open the menus, and the prices were out of this world. And before I could catch myself, I said, $17 for lasagna? Dear God, Mamaw could make two, of, two whole lasagnas for 17 <laughs> These guys turned and looked at me, and I noticed they were all wearing jackets. We weren't wearing jackets, but they were wearing jackets. It's a fancy place, you know. So Donna looked at me and she said, I'm not even ordering a salad. I said, what are you going to do? Sit there and listen, watch, watch us all eat. She said, Jonathan, because we didn't have a lot of money. She said, if we eat here, we're broke. And she said, I ain't doing it. I said, well, what are we going to do? She said, well, I, here's what I'm going to do. She said, I'm going to act like I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm talking about keeping it fun, Okay. And she said, then I'm going to slip out the door. I said, oh, great. I said, you're going to leave us in here to handle this while you take, you know, the chicken way out. And so she got up, and when she got up, Nikki and Susie said, I'm going with her. And so they got up to go with her. And so I thought, why? So I said, come on, Jeremiah. So we got up, this whole family of five people got up, and the waiter came out, and he said, is everything all right? And I raised my voice for everyone in that restaurant to hear. I said, no, it's not okay. Your prices are ridiculous. How do you expect a family of five to be able to afford to eat here? You have a good day. We're going to McDonald's. There was a few snoots to say, mm-mm, but I seen over in the corner, there's a real old guy sitting there. You can tell he had all kinds of money. He looked at me and he went. <laughs> we walked out of there. We get out there in the parking lot, and I'm the one that's got the keys, and the car's locked. And the kids are like, Dad, open the door. We need to get in the car. I said, no, let's just stand here and talk about what just happened. And they said, no, we need to get in the car. We need to get in the car. I said, no, no, let's just have... They said, Dad, I said, we just made a memory. (laughs) So we got in the car, and obviously, eight years later, we're still telling the story. And this is what I'm talking about, about making memories. Strong families laugh together. They cry together. They pray together. 
Sometimes they even smell each other. I mean, strong families, if you spend enough time with someone, then you're going to get to know them and they're going to get to know you. And you should, be, you should be more transparent with your family than you should be with anyone else. Why do I want to make a memory? Because memories are the, is the, are the stuff. Just let me, I know it's bad grammar, but let me say it like this. Memories are the stuff that legacies are made from. Memories are the stuff that legacies are made from. Listen, your child may never remember what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And I'll tell you from experience, they'll remember a whole lot more what you said than what you think. And contrary to people's thinking sometimes, they don't just remember the good stuff. Sometimes they remember the bad. So when you're ranting and railing and screaming and hollering and squalling, your child is downloading that and that is becoming the foundation of their communication for future conflict. So it's important for us to learn. Now see, when we got married, um, I'm going I'm to let that go. Okay. Third thing, because I'm, I'm, I'm about out of time. Third thing that I want to talk to you about is not only do we need to keep it real and not only do we need to keep it fun. So you can't fake real and you can't fake fun. I mean, if some, I mean, you can act like you're having fun, but people can tell if it's a belly laugh or not. Okay? And then, uh, you know, work, work on the memories. And then the, the last thing I want to talk to you about today is to keep the faith. You've got to keep the main thing the main thing. My politically incorrect statement for the day is this. Are you ready? God is more important than baseball. God's more important than soccer. God's more important than football. God's more important than NASCAR. God's more important. God is more important. You've got to teach your family the priorities of living for God. You have to teach them. How do I teach them? See, when you take them to play baseball because baseball season is in and you take them to play baseball on Sunday instead of bringing them to church, then you're teaching them that God is not the priority, that God is in the list of priorities and you can just choose whatever is most convenient for you. No, 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 no. God needs to be number one. Well, that's just religious. Call it what you want. I found out that when you talk to people about things like this and they want to find fault with you that their kids probably aren't in church. It's kind of like going to a family counselor and getting counsel from someone about your children who's never had a child. I'm not finding fault with people that doesn't have a child. I'm talking about a principle here. How can, see, how can someone who is 22 years old give a 40-year-old counsel on a teenage problem if they're not even married and don't have a child. Well, I have a degree. I don't care. That's paper. Okay? So, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. God's more important than baseball. God's more important than soccer. Sunday, come to church. Bring your family to church. 
Quit making excuses. Well, we're spending family time. There's two hours on Sunday morning. How many hours for the rest of the week? Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just protect me. God-centered families stand the test of time. One of the most valuable things that I can teach my kids is that things may not always go like we want them to go, but God is always right there with us. We have lived this next statement. Man will use you. Man will abuse you. Man, man will say all manner of evil against you for their own personal gain. And most of the time it's because they're jealous of the relationship that you have with your family and your kids and all of that. But I found out a long time ago that the God who hung the worlds upon nothing and flung the stars into space will never leave us and will never forsake us even when people are shooting at you and even when people are shooting at your family and when people are finding fault with you because you're making the right choices, when people are finding fault with you and trying to talk you out of it, you just need to say, you know something? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to make His, His rules and His ways part, part of our life. God will have your back. God will have your back. You've got to learn to leave the paybacks to God. Don't get so caught up trying to defend yourself with one another or trying to defend yourself with other people. Don't get so caught up doing that that you lose your relationship with the Lord. Leave the paybacks to God. The more successful you are with your kids, the more successful you are in your relationship, and the, the more successful you are, the more people are going to find fault with you. And the reason they're going to find fault with you is because they're jealous and envious. Don't get caught up in trying to defend the favor that God has put upon your life. Just live in it and love Him. Recompense, Romans 12, 17-21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on their head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. One of the one of the, the strongest natures of God is that God is good. And when I am good to you, and when I'm good to my enemies, and when I'm good to those that are around me, then there is no better way for me to reflect who God is to me. So the question I ask myself today is, then what does God require of us? What does God require of us if... I want to rebuild my family if, if, if I want God to take the mess that my life has become and put it back together again. Now, what would God require of me? Here's what the Bible says in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? You hear me? To do justly, to love kindness and mercy, 
and to walk humbly with our God or to humble ourselves and walk humbly with our God. So God is calling us to be just and God is calling us to be kind and merciful and God is calling us to humility. When I say, God, I want you to take this broken family and put it back together again. That's one kind of prayer. But when I pray and say, God, I want you to put this family back together and I realize there are things that are broken in me that I need you to fix. And so Lord, instead of praying and asking you to fix mama and instead of praying and asking you to fix my son or my daughter, God, here am I, fix me. You know I'm a pastor and I shoot it straight, right? Wives don't leave for no reason at all. Husbands don't leave for no reason at all. Children don't fight mom and dad for no reason at all. There are ingredients in our lives that make those things happen. And one of the most powerful and humble prayers we can pray Is God, I love this family enough to say, Lord, fix it and begin with me. Begin with me. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. If I can get Robin to come to the piano, please. And now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to reverently fear the Lord your God? That's to walk in all of His ways, to love Him and to serve the Lord your God with all your mind, and your heart, and with your entire being. Keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command you today for your good. Let's all stand. I was in the motel room on Friday afternoon by myself, working on this message. The morning service had ended. We had a few hours before the night service. And I got to this this part here. And I said, Lord, this is kind of a tough message. What do you want me to say at the end of it? And it's like the Lord began to show me that There needs to be an anointing for admittance. Come into this sanctuary right now. That means, Lord, I need to admit that there are times in my life when I've been fake. God, there's times when I've dropped the ball. And And, and those, those fake areas in our life, you might be good at covering it up. You might be good at faking it. But God knows the very thoughts and the intents of your heart. You might fool me, but you'll never fool God. 
You know why? Because he's your accountability. You can be accountable to a spiritual leader. You can be accountable to an uncle or an aunt or a mama or a papa or a parent. And you can pull the wool over their eyes, but you'll never pull the wool over God's eyes. You know why? He loves you too much for that. He's safe. That's a word somebody needs to hear. He's safe. And I have taught you this many, many different times, and I'm going to say it again because there's somebody here this morning that may need to hear this. The Bible does not tell us to confess our sins to one another. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. The Bible says to confess your faults to one another. We confess our sin to God. Why would you confess a sin to me that I have no power to do anything about? Now, if you confess a fault to me, I, have, I can pray for you. I can love you. I can try to help you. I can be your accountability. I can do what, you know, whatever I can to help you. But I can't forgive you of your sin. But God can. So we confess our sins to Him. And when we confess our sins to Him and ask Him to forgive us of our sins, then He washes us clean and remembers that sin against us no more. And the Bible says He removes the memory of it as far as the east is from the west and He remembers it against us no more. And that's even the sins of being fake. Because to be fake is to be dishonest. And there's no such thing as faking it till you make it. You can faith it till you make it, but you can't fake it till you make it. That's why seeker-sensitive churches don't work. I'm going to preach. They're so busy trying to make the church look enough like the world to attract the world that when the world shows up, they can't see a difference between the church and the world. And they say, why should I go to church? There's a difference in that and being relevant. Seeker-sensitive churches can, can garner a crowd. But the pastor of Willow Creek, who started that trend, wrote an article for Charisma magazine apologizing to the church world. He said, we got a crowd, but what we were after was converts. What I'm saying is, don't be part of the crowd, be a convert. Don't be fake, be real. Be genuine and say, Lord, I've dropped the ball. I've messed up. There's fake areas in my life. And God, I need you to forgive me. And I need you to help me. And on Friday, I wrote this here. God, I want my family to be whole. And I realize it starts with me. God would not have given me this message for you if there were not people here today that needed to spend some time with God about this. 
Thank you for joining us today on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.